Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode of Innovation and Compliance. Today, I'm extraordinarily pleased and thrilled, actually, to have my good friend, Joe Howell. Joe is the executive vice president or for Kiva. Joe is uh, what I would call a serial entrepreneur. He has uh, worked at many companies in uh, financial wing and arm. He has worked in internal audit, and he has helped companies uh, really uh, grow and move. And where Kiva is truly innovative in their space, but um, so he's got a lot of different ideas. Most importantly, he's got a lot of a wealth of experience, having seen innovation over several business generations of companies. So, Joe, with that extraordinarily long-winded introduction, thanks for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, Tom, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm delighted to get a chance to speak about issues related to innovation in compliance in particular. So, Joe, one of the things that um, I think companies struggle with is that, uh, at least in the compliance realm, you are viewed that your compliance program must be evolving. It must be innovating because that's what business does. And that if your compliance program is static, simply sitting there, even if it's more than simply a paper program, if you're not innovating, if you're not uh, developing your compliance program and moving it forward, you're going to be falling further and further behind the businesses and the business processes that you need to be uh, uh, engaged in overseeing. Um, So uh, with your wealth of experience, though, I was wondering if you could maybe share with us what you have seen as are some of the obstacles to innovation and why those obstacles can really be not just lead to a compliance failure, but really even a catastrophic uh, corporate failure. Well, Tom, I've seen that over and over in my career, and I was profoundly affected by some things that happened to me when I was very young in my career. Back in the early 1980s, just as PCs were being introduced to the market, I was the division controller of a pretty um, prominent technology company in the Silicon Valley. And I distinctly remember getting a memo from the CEO of the company who was really miffed that we were requesting so many PCs. He felt that it was a complete waste of money. He couldn't quite understand the advantage of a PC. And as he had pointed out on a number of occasions, he had already invested in some of the best calculators that were available on the market. We all had perfectly good selectric typewriters at our immediate disposal. He had put in photocopy machines everywhere, and he had even gone so far as to invest in a fax machine. In fact, yes, it was true. We had one of the first fax machines in the neighborhood. He'd put it into a room with a Dutch door with one female employee who guarded that thing with her life. Nobody ever dared cross the boundary of that Dutch door for that fax. This was his view of being very progressive, and he felt that we were perfectly able to get our jobs done for all this time without PCs, so getting PCs right now seemed to him to be just toys or a novelty with no real purpose. Looking back on that today, it just seems silly that anybody would ever think that PCs would not be needed for the business, but there was a time 
in my personal professional lifetime when that was the case. Uh, two and a half years later or so, the, the company was sold to another company that promptly dismantled it. And it was very clear that the, to me at the time and in my career since then, that it is almost universally true that many people underrate the risk of doing nothing, that they think that, you know, we're perfectly able to do what we're doing right now. And there is no reason for us to invest any more in making uh, progress in other ways that might be disruptive to the organization. You know, Tom, when you mentioned earlier that that many of your listeners are uh, experiencing resistance in their organizations to making change, I think that that's been my experience personally. And I, I can tell you from personal experience that bad things happen when you don't really step back and take a good, clean assessment of your risk of doing nothing. So, Joe, how does a company, uh, is there a way to even think about or quantit- quantify uh, the risk of doing nothing? Or is that really a qualitative assessment that uh, uh, a, a true risk professional would have to make? You know, I don't think you need to have, you know, it, it, impressive risk credentials to see that making no changes whatsoever can be a dangerous strategy and that uh, seeing where you are today is is safe as at least in your business especially if you're in a competitive business but i think it's also true for people who are in non-competitive businesses like government enterprises that uh, that the that the, the, if you step back and take a hard look you can see the risks of doing nothing that that issue, for example, um, in some stories that happened to me recently, uh, among the many things that Workiva has done is to implement a cloud-based uh, a toolkit, if you will, to enable people to integrate the functionality of spreadsheets, word processors, presentation managers, file managers, data processing or data management into one single platform that enables seamless integration between all of those those key functions. And we began by doing, um, by, by addressing issues related to reporting to the Securities and Exchange Commission and have expanded broadly into risk areas, including regulated risk, which includes the things that banks go through for their either Dodd-Frank risk assessments or some of the European requirements. But we've also gone into uh, government reporting. In fact, we have a significant footprint now in the in the states in their comprehensive annual financial reporting processes and their budget reporting processes, and even parts of the federal government. Now, the reason I brought up the states is because the thing that struck me most when I was uh, meeting with a number of the, the state uh, controllers, controllers, uh, heads of financial reporting is that many of them had been in place for many years. In fact, as I sat around the table with a financial reporting team for one large eastern state, uh, and we just asked how long you had been in place, the median tenure was 28 years. And the, there were two or three people sitting in sort of the back of the room that had uh, been there only a few months. So you talk about a silver tsunami, people who had been in place for so long, doing the same work year after year, using Excel and 
photocopy machines and some word processing tools to create their comprehensive annual financial reports to the legislature and to the citizens of the state. It was interesting that, that when we talked about when had they last really set back and updated their policies, they said that it was in the 1980s, that that was the last comprehensive attack at, or update of, of their policies. Everybody knew what was going on by tribal knowledge. And when everything was being kept in Excel and the, the uh, somewhat archaic accounting systems that were available to them were really being held up and, and used to meet the more uh, challenging demands of the 21st century, that they, that was really Excel that was enabling them to do that. When you, when you look at those sorts of, of issues, they themselves were under a significant threat of, uh, of, of a breakage, of a failure in compliance, of, of uh, major errors going undetected until it was too late, that uh, you don't need to be in a rapidly changing environment in order to experience those sorts of risks. Joe, I don't know if I answered your question, but it was a, it was a great to me that was a, that was an important story about the risk of doing nothing. It was, uh, but let me turn specifically to spreadsheets, Joe, because uh, in my uh, legal and corporate career, at one time Excel was, uh, if not re- revolutionary, it certainly was innovative, and you could uh, dice, slice, cut, uh, put information in different ways. Uh, some people are extraordinarily uh, good with Excel and, and can make pivot tables that uh, literally um, have millions of entries and have it in a way that can be printed and digested by uh, people as diverse as accountants or lawyers and everything in between. But uh, in many ways now, that innovation that we saw in the 80s and 90s is uh, not even the middle of the road, but uh, I would say in my uh, compliance experience, has actually um, uh, uh, slowed down innovation and compliance. So how do we change the mindset from something that one point was truly innovative? It's certainly something, a tool that people like yourself and myself are comfortable with in uh, the corporations we've worked with. How do we uh, get them to understand that it is, uh, that there are other tools now uh, that are not only more innovative, but the prior tool that you thought was so great may actually be hindering you moving forward. Well, those, that's all absolutely true. And there, there are a wealth of examples of the kinds of risks that companies and uh, businesses of all kinds, including governments, have, uh, are incurring on a regular basis by using Excel. There are, you know, Excel, as you said, but I should say spreadsheets in general, because I had been involved in the spreadsheet industry from the early days of VisiCalc and Multiplan through the innovation of Lotus 123, Borland's Quattro Pro, and Excel, finally. And now, of course, with uh, Workiva, we're able to provide a cloud-based spreadsheet, which is actually part of a bigger platform that enables both word processing, a very sophisticated word processing, presentation managers, and data management all in one. Uh, but the, the issues that companies and businesses face today by continuing to rely on Excel are that they are a, unable to see what changes have been made to complex spreadsheets. They're unable to see who made those changes. They're unable to see when those changes were made. And they're unable to tie together supporting documentation to those spreadsheets, that things are dis, 
disassociated, the support for a particular uh, entry or recording is not kept with the spreadsheet itself, but is usually kept in a SharePoint file or some other hard drive file somewhere, or perhaps even in a paper file cabinet. Uh, you're also unable to integrate those values easily into other medium like, like text documents uh, that might be laid out on a page filed with a, a 10K used for uh, supporting documentation for a um, for a legal filing or, or other legal memos or the tying together what's actually happening in the, the bowels of the organization, tying that seamlessly into a PowerPoint presentation that you're going to be providing to management or the board or investors of the company. So all of those things, key pieces of information are really disconnected. Now, the consequences of that can be, as we've said, significant. And I turn your attention to what happened not long after Congress invested so much political capital in, in um, passing the Dodd-Frank legislation to deal with all of the bank failures that happened in 2008, when headline news carried the story of the London whale debacle at uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. You may recall that the London whale was a traitor in uh, London. He was employed by J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, he was um, trading derivative instruments, and he was an actual real guy. His name is Bruno Ixel. And Bruno was uh, trading instruments that had no market value in and of themselves because they were comprised not just of uh, collateralized debt obligations, as we keep hearing about today, where instruments are, are chopped up into bits and pieces and put into other instruments, but he was trading derivatives of those derivatives. The only way he knew the risk of something going wrong in those instruments was because the arithmetic of the value at risk calculated by the, uh, the, the, the people who were supporting his trading activities was being, was being shared with him. And they were shockingly producing those calculations in Excel. The final audit report after the headline news said that JPMC had lost $2 billion, um, and Congress summoned Jamie Dimon, the CEO, to testify in both the House and the Senate, where both seemed to get an opportunity to cane him publicly for the failure for his loss of a $2.2 billion um, su a surprise loss, $2.2 billion. Uh, he said that they would get to the bottom of it and they would publish an audit report, which they did. And almost as an aside, he said, you know, we're still looking into it. We don't know the size of this loss. Well, as it turns out, the final number was $6.2 billion, significantly higher than they had originally thought. The, the audit report is still available, or it was the last time I looked on JPMC's website. And it's interesting because it's very long and it discusses many of the things that went wrong. And there were many. There were failures to comply with policy and there were misunderstandings. But when you get to the sort of the end of the report, you see some things that tell you had all of those things still gone right, they might still have had a significant loss because the calculations being done in Excel were corrupted. There were transposition errors that were, went undetected. 
data entry is something that could happen in any kind of technology, didn't necessarily require Excel. But the issue with the Excel uh, transposition errors and all those other um, type, typos and errors in copying and pasting were that they were on spreadsheets that were just so large and so complicated, no one would ever find them. But the most important issue that really undermined the credibility of the trades that Bruno Exo was, was executing was that somebody had changed a key formula that they were relying on to calculate the, what could go wrong if the trade soured. And they changed a formula from equals average from a long column of numbers, parent, closed, to equals sum. So you don't need to be a mathematical genius to see that there's a profound difference in the, what the number is, an average of a long column of numbers versus the sum of a long column of numbers. The sum is a much bigger value. Unfortunately, that sum was used as a denominator in the next step of the calculation, which meant that when they were telling Bruno that this trade, if he, if, if it went south, he could lose $100,000. In fact, it could have been, in reality, and was, $100 million or more. So even if the folks at uh, JPMC had brilliantly managed all of the other compliance issues, the very fact that they were using Excel undermined their ability to actually uh, have a well-controlled and disciplined and well-understood trading uh, environment. A long-winded story to say that the big issues that many companies face is their reliance on a technology which doesn't allow them to see what changes were made, what the consequences of those changes were, when they were made, the uh, who had made them, and uh, in to integrate all of that information in a way that it can be viewed by humans. One of the takeaways I take from that story is that Innovation is not simply um, a scientist sitting around till the light bulb goes off. It's not even a team of uh, professionals in a conference room uh, doing design thinking. It is literally down to the tactical level of how do you record information and how is that information secured? And that innovation can be Absolutely. as simple as locking that down so that a change is made with an audit trail so that that can be checked. Uh, and then can be audit, audited or looked at by someone completely different, and that if it's that significant a formula, that that formula cannot be changed without an appropriate level of review and or authorization. So it really strikes me that even with the story down to the, to the lowest tactical level almost, uh, that's what innovation is, and that's why innovation is important. Absolutely. And the thing that is that you should also take away from the, these these stories that we've just uh, shared is that there really is a risk of taking no action whatsoever. You just you have to start to think about what it might be and where you should be looking for things that could go wrong in your current environment. People become very complacent. Frequently when they begin to to do the kinds of return on investment calculations for making an investment in something that might be uh, new and better, they assume that there is zero impact of doing nothing, that the sort of a steady state, the base case is where we are today, and that anything else on top of that requires that you make an investment, you need to get a return on that. If you were to step back and say, well, geez, you know, there is a absolute cost to me 
of not examining or not correcting the current situation, and that that whether I can ac accurately uh, measure that quantifi quantifiably or not, or just estimate what that risk might be, the cost of that risk might be, then that's the then that that could really alter the return on investment calculations and and cause you to as an organization or executives of an organization to put more money into the compliance issues into the um into the control environments and into the um the administrative roles of the company that otherwise are frequently um seen as adding little or no value to the company's uh business and the return on the investment for the business. Well, Joe, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but this has just been a fascinating exploration of uh, on many different levels, but most primarily why uh, engaging in no innovation is actually a risky business strategy and certainly a risky compliance strategy. So I really want to thank you for uh, sharing these thoughts. And it's been, a, I think, an incredibly thought-provoking uh, podcast, and I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. Tom, thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity to share these stories with your audience. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Innovation and Compliance Podcast with Tom Fox. Embedding compliance in your organization is a key component to the business equation of operationalizing your compliance program. How can you do it? Learn more at fcpacompliancereport.com slash innovation.